The following podcast is not suitable for children. It contains violence, adult themes, explicit language, and swooping magpies. Hello and welcome to the September edition of Capital Yarns, the podcast. I bring to life in audio format one of the short stories I've written set in Canberra and they are always inspired by three items nominated by social media users, uh, Twitter, Facebook, email. People come to me, give me three items and then I make sure all three items feature in a story set in Canberra. And this one was requested by Jess at the Noted Publishing Fair, which is a great celebration at Gorman House Market a few months back now. Lots of people came and said hello to me on my stall and I invited them to nominate some items for a story. Uh, And given spring has sprung here in Canberra, the sun is coming out again, Uh, we all like to get out there and try and enjoy it. But of course, um, particularly for me who rides a bike to work, uh, just when you think it is safe to go outside, the magpies start swooping. And Jess nominated for her three items, Crime, Deacon, a suburb of Canberra named after a former Prime Minister, and 12 magpies. So it seemed a fitting time to bring this story to life. Uh, And given the crime element, I couldn't quite help but give it a a bit of a pulp fiction uh, old style crime feel particularly Sen and Deacon of which has featured a few uh, quite infamous crimes over the years which you'll hear referred to in the podcast so I couldn't help but call the story noir and hopefully you'll see it's got a bit of a, a film noir feel to it. The other reason I chose this story was Today, 30th September, is International Podcasting Day, and this story is all about uh, one of the characters loving a podcast and the impact that has on her day at work. So, happy International Podcasting Day, everyone, and I hope you enjoy it. I think he's a spy, boss. With those words, Matt felt his heart sink. Trying to restrain his emotion, caused partially by the gruesome scene before him, and the news that Jules had delivered, he spoke the first words that came into his head. You think he's a fucking what? He hadn't taken his eyes off the body. He could not muster the energy to move his gaze away. He tried to consciously send signals through his brain synapses to his eyes, but there was some mental block. Instead, he found himself studying all aspects of the crime scene. The incredible amount of blood, the dismembered body parts, What was left of the guy's face, if that was what you could call it, seemed to be more like a collection of mincemeat on top of a skull. He knew it was already down to him to sort this out, and that's why he'd been brought here. He'd seen some nasty shit in his time, but this would stay with him for a long time to come, probably forever. He still had nightmares about his time on Task Force Blueprint, assembled to dig up some particularly horrific unsolved child sex offences. He had woken up plenty of times in a cold sweat in the weeks after he had completed the work. Still did some nights. At least he had found a way to get out of that work. A lot of phone calls, string pulling, and big promises on his part had got him this far. He still had at least a pound of flesh, if not more, to repay for his move off the task force. How did that saying go? Out of the frying pan? Into an even more gruesome murder scene? The image before him would certainly make an appearance in his dreams in the near future. This was already turning into quite the first day. Forensics have arrived, boss. 
Jules appeared to have ignored his earlier question, or at least treated it as rhetorical. He supposed it was. She seemed to be dealing with the image of the body before her far better than he was. Still, he had seen things she hadn't seen, and he had a job to do. He felt a tap on his shoulder which lifted him out of his stupor. He turned, mercifully finally able to take his eyes away from the carnage. A forensics guy in a white suit indicated he wanted to push past him. Matt happily waved him past, pleased someone would be doing something to begin dealing with the mess before him. Jules pulled him aside. I'm serious, boss. I think he's a spook. Matt sighed. (sighs) Is this some sort of initiation you spring on the new detectives? Try to convince them their first crime scene in Canberra has an espionage connection? Make them look dumb in front of the CPO? Jules looked hurt. No way, Matt. No way. I've never suggested something like this before. Honest. But I listened to this true crime podcast. Matt held up his hand. Jesus, you listen to a true crime podcast. Don't you get enough of that at work? How quiet is the usual day on the beat in Canberra? Nah, not really. Well, I mean, round here actually, there is plenty of violent crime. Hang on. Save your podcast story for a minute. What do you mean round here? These apartments, they're pretty swish. They look brand new. Jules nodded enthusiastically, and Matt was pleased to find he may have directed her away from podcasts and conspiracy theories. Yeah, these apartments have just been built, but the old embassy motel used to be on this spot, and some stuff went down here. It used to be the hotel for diplomatic staff, and we're in Deakin. All the big Canberra crimes have happened round here. I mean, Colin Winchester got shot in his driveway a few blocks up that way. She moved her arm to indicate a slightly different direction. Matt realised he little understood what she was pointing out, particularly as they were inside a small kitchen with no windows. Over there is Red Hill, and there have been a bunch of violent incidents and murders there. Matt held up his hand, interrupting her again. And I bet over there there's a particularly hostile brood of 12 magpies that are responsible for a horrific series of sweeping attacks. Jules followed the direction of his arm and mercifully fell silent for a moment to consider his question. Her green eyes narrowed as she apparently processed his suggestion. At last she tossed a red fringe away from her eyes and met his gaze. Nah, boss, you're pointing to the service station. I don't think anything violent happened there lately. Maybe a hold up once, but there wouldn't be any trees for the magpies to sit in. Matt sighed, exhausted. Jules took this as an opportunity to keep talking. And over there is the Saudi embassy. I bet they're involved. So because there is an embassy across the street, you figure this guy is a spy. There must be loads of embassies around here, right? Yeah, but on the podcast... Christ, not this fucking podcast again, thought Matt. They covered this case of the Summerton Man. They called him that because he was found on Summerton Beach in Adelaide with no identification, tags cut off his clothes, just like this guy. They reckon he was a spy. It was at the height of the Cold War, and it would make sense that our victim would have done that to his face, you know, to make him unrecognisable. Matt wondered if Jules had noticed the tags had been cut off the victim's clothes. I've heard of the Summerton Man, White, and not from some podcast. But the problem back then was there was no DNA evidence to collect. We should be able to find out who this guy is pretty quickly. Someone mangling his face isn't going to help with that. 
It's probably more likely some sicko it gets off on. But it will slow us down. And you found that scrap of paper in our victim's pocket, just like they found on the Summerton man. Shit, thought Matt. This girl doesn't miss a thing. He didn't think she'd noticed him slipping into his pocket earlier. What does it say? And shouldn't we give it to forensics? Matt nodded, pulling the small piece of paper out of his pocket. I was just about to give it to him. I was trying to decipher it first. It says N-Z-F. Jules paused to consider the message. Her face suddenly lit up. That's Arabic! I'm sure it is! Do they speak Arabic in Saudi Arabia? Despite everything, he couldn't help but be impressed. He wasn't expecting her to know it was Arabic. He wondered how long it would take her to translate it. Hang on, White. It could be an acronym for something, like National Zoo F- But before he could finish, Jules continued her earlier thought. I remember the Saudis had some issue with these apartments being built. I think it was linked to one of their diplomatic staff being killed a few years ago. What, here? Nah, in his apartment in Kingston, but he worked at the embassy. Jules looked over at the body. Matt decided not to follow her eyes. He had seen enough. He sort of looks Saudi. Before he could stop it, Matt's mind's eye immediately recalled the image of the poor guy's bloodied skull. How can you tell, White? There's nothing left of his face. The colour of his skin. The colour of his skin? Come on. Before Jess could reply, the forensics guy who was still bent over the body interjected. My guess he's Asian or Middle Eastern from the skin colour and skull shape, but too early to say for sure. Great, thought Matt. Everyone was an expert on his case. Come on, boss. We might as well start with the Saudis. Matt shook his head. No way, White. We are not going to march across the road and start questioning the Saudi ambassador on the basis our victim has tanned skin and one of their people was murdered here 20 years ago. Do we want everyone from the Prime Minister to the Head of Foreign Affairs screaming down the phone to the CPO about a couple of bumbling cops asking stupid questions of the diplomatic corps? Jules fell silent. He had appeared to have finally curbed some of her enthusiasm. I think we've just got everything we can get here. You sure there's no identification on this guy? You searched him completely. Matt still felt guilty for asking her to search the guy's pockets. Jules shook her head, still looking disappointed. No wallet or phone on him, and the place has been completely cleaned out. Apart from the furniture and a couple of tins of soup, the place is completely empty. It looks like an apartment that a real estate agent would use as a display, not that someone would actually live in. Maybe it is, thought Matt, but he decided to keep that to himself. Let the forensics guys do their work. Uniform will scour the air for witnesses and see if the neighbours saw anything. It's late. It's been a long day. I'll meet you at the station tomorrow morning, first thing. She nodded reluctantly and slowly exited the flat. He felt bad for being so hard on her, but what choice did he have? He too trudged away, waving to the forensics guy. You'll deal with the fingerprints? The guy nodded, appearing to understand the message. As he walked down the flight of stairs, Matt realised how little he looked forward to putting his head on the pillow that night and to the images that would undoubtedly follow. As he opened the car door onto the street, he was partly blinded by the flashing light of the squad cars around and the bright lights of what he assumed were media. Several journalists yelled at him from behind the crime scene tape, mercifully drowning each other out. 
He had already agreed with the CPO that they wouldn't say a word until a press conference tomorrow. He muttered a no comment and slipped around the back of the building where his car was parked. After a fitful night's sleep, he arrived at the Civic Station early the next morning, only to find Jules crossing London Circuit at the same time as him. Morning, boss! The desk sergeant yelled at them as they went past. The lab called. Some problem with the samples they took yesterday from your murder scene. They can't get a DNA match because of the samples being corrupted. They're going to contact the morgue and see if they can get some more. Jules walked over to the counter. What about fingerprints? The sergeant checked a piece of paper. Oh, actually, it says here they didn't find any. They didn't find any prints? You serious? Before Matt could respond, Jules had pulled him over to the corner of the station. This feels like some big conspiracy, boss. You know, the message on the note? I looked it up last night on Google. NZF in Arabic means clean up. Put that together with all the other stuff. The apartment being wiped clean, forensic fucking up. I've never heard of anything like that before. White. Murderers wear gloves. They wipe surfaces clean, cover their tracks. Yeah, but there was something weird about the apartment. It was just so clean. And since when do forensics lose DNA samples? Matt opened his mouth to answer when a commotion behind them caused both he and Jules to turn around. They found a thin, sickly-looking woman in tight black jeans and a white T-shirt yelling at the desk sergeant, while a tall, muscular man behind her in a leather jacket seemed to be nodding enthusiastically. I'm telling you, we killed him. We did it. He just fucking charge us? Matt intervened. A feeling of deja vu came over him. What's going on here? The woman held out her hands. Cuff us, arrest us, just do it, we're confessing, we killed that guy. Which guy? The dead dude, UP guys found in Deacon, we did it. Jules looked suspiciously at both of them, but before she could answer, Matt intervened. Arrest them, read them their rights, and then put them in different interview rooms, what? But boss, they look like a couple of nutters who heard about the case on the news. He glared back at her. Just do it. Then meet me in interview room one in ten minutes. We'll do the girl first. Ten minutes later, he joined Jules in the interview room, switching on the audio-visual gear as he entered. After recording the date and time, he sat down. So, tell us why you're here. I killed him. Me and Brad, the guy I came in with. Jules sighed. And why did you do that? We used to go out years ago and it ended badly. He started calling me, harassing me. I'd had enough, so I asked my new man to help me sort him out. Jules shook her head. I don't buy it. Where did he work? When I knew him, he worked at an embassy. Which one? The woman paused before shrugging her shoulders. Oh, I can't remember. Bullshit. You went out with this guy and you can't even remember which embassy he was from. You know more than you're saying. Matt regarded the woman coolly. She smiled a big fake smile back at Matt. That's just the sort of slut I am. So get on with it and charge us, will you? My name is Carol, Carol Jones. You can add prostitution if you want to speed things up. I've got a few convictions already. Jules stared across the table at her. You'd never even met him, have you? 
Carol, if that was her real name, stared back silently at her. I want some fucking answers. Why are you confessing to a crime you clearly did not commit? Shit you, let alone anyone else can even tell us which country he is from. Matt looked up at Jules nervously. She was losing her shit. For her part, Carol lifted her gaze and met his eyes, a grim expression on her pasty white pimply face. She was so thin he could make out definition of cheek and chin bones. A vein was pulsating in her neck, the only evidence of any stress. Listen, mate, I can tell you get it. You won't get any answers. That's not how these things work. Not in this town. Not with shit like that. Shut up, do your job and process me. Unless you want to end up like him. But Jules wouldn't let it go. Tell us what is going on. We can protect you. Listen, lady, I don't know what's going on, okay? Fear written all over her face. I just know it's better for all of us if you stop asking questions. There are some powerful people involved in this thing. How high? Jules was leaning forward and staring at her. I don't know, government types and... Boss, this sounds more and more like some sort of conspiracy. Matt sighed. People were putting things together in ways he didn't like. Already they knew far more than they should fucking Jules and her fucking podcast. Know what they say about conspiracy theories? He stood up and drew his gun, aiming at Carol's head. Before she could react, he pulled the trigger. Her body was knocked backwards by the force, tipping over her chair so Jules could only glimpse the horrific damage the bullet did to her skull at such close range. He swung around and pointed the gun at Jules, shock, then understanding, spreading across her face. Boss? It was such a shame. He liked her, and it was only his second day. He hadn't expected things to move so quickly. Still, he had a job to do. Never trust the new guy, Jules, particularly when he's desperate to stop staring at horrific photos all day. You were right about the conspiracy. I had to pay a price to get here. And now my debt is due. Reluctantly, he pulled the trigger. Well, thank you, Peter uh, and Melanie, for bringing that, helping to bring that story to life. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the sort of noir feel to it even though spring has come magpies featured uh and and the day we're recording today in canberra does have a a sort of gray drizzly noir feel to it that's just about all for me this month i did want to let you know that um i'll likely be participating in the digital writers festival a great celebration of writing online which is happening in november online check out my twitter and facebook pages or the Capital Yarns page, www.capitalyarns.com.au. I'm Capital Yarns on Twitter and Facebook as well to keep up to date with uh, my involvement in that festival. It looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Last time I brought together some 90 writers who uh, do their thing online um, and I think it'd be plenty to check out. So I'll make sure I circulate the program. You can, of course, read my stories in book form if you like it that way, coupled with lots of photographs in Capital Yarns, the book, compilation of my short stories. That's available at a range of retailers around the city, including Harry Hartog, Paper Chain, uh, the National Library, News Bookstore, originally celebrated their first year anniversary. They've done some great things uh, for writers in the ACT. So check that out. Again, on my website, you can see all the wonderful retailers stock the book. 
Thanks again. Until next time, enjoy your spring and watch out for those magpies. Bye now.